Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, June 24th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut, in his new home studio, is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster, only working from my home in New York. Over the weekend, we're going to be having the Dodgers and the Braves and Freddie Freeman's return to Atlanta on Thursday. Freddie was in Cincinnati facing the Reds, and he had himself a moment. And Freeman swings and he hits a drive deep to center field. Back it goes. It is gone. A two-run home run. Freddie Freeman and the Dodgers lead it three to nothing. It's Tim Never at AM 570 LA Sports. The Dodgers win 10 to 5. Freddie goes into Atlanta hitting 303, 386 on base percentage, eight homers. I'll be talking with Carl Ravage about that, what that moment will be like uh, tonight in Atlanta when he's given his championship ring and what the weekend will be like for Freddie Freeman. The Braves hosted the Giants in the last of a four game series, and Dansby Swanson, who's a great friend of Freddie Freeman, had himself a day. High fly ball, deep to left center field. That ball's hit well. That ball is gone. Dansby Swanson does it again. He sparked the game-winning rally last night, and he drives this pitch out to left center. And the Braves have the upper hand one to nothing. 2-1 and a fly ball to deep left center field. This is heading back towards the seats, and another home run for Dansby. He just caved in the side of that baseball in his second home run of the ball game. That is now a 7-1 lead for the Braves as this man has been on a tear here in the month of June. Yeah, what a time for a tear for Swanson, who's headed into free agency in the fall. That sound from 680, the fan. Braves take the series from San Francisco, are now 41-30 and and four games behind the Mets. The Brewers and the Cardinals, we've talked about the Cardinals, how it feels like they're kind of putting everything together so for the brewers this was a big series and they got a big hit on thursday this one is hit in the air to left back yepes warning track wall gone boy a high towering drive from tyrone taylor it clears the barrier and left and that's the blow the brewers needed on offense that from 620 wtmj brewers win that game six to four Twins are in a similar spot as the Brewers, giving up some ground in the standings. They're facing the team that has been chasing them down of late, the Cleveland Guardians, and they got a nice win on Thursday. One-two pitch, a fly ball, deep center field, Straw going back, still going at the wall, that's gone! A curveball to Gordon, he goes to straightaway center field, his second homer this season, and the Twins take a one nothing lead in the third. And that would be the only run of the game. That sound from Treasure Island Baseball Network. Mariners and A's. It's been that kind of year for Oakland. They had a 1-0 lead top of the ninth inning, and this happened. Puck from the stretch, and the pitch to Toro is on the way. And that's high and outside, back to the screen. Coming down the line is Moore. He scores a tying run. Now the throw gets away, and it's backed up by Sheldon Noisy, and it's 1-1 in the ninth. Yeah, you could hear Ken Korak's voice sinking because Frankie Montas was unbelievable in this game. That, of course, the Oakland radio network. It was 1-1 at that point, and this is what happened next. 1-1 in the ninth. Runners at second and third. 
And the 3-2 pitch is inside. That goes back to the screen. Here comes Winker. He scores the go-ahead run. And it's 2-1. to one. Do you believe this? Now, Frankie Montas couldn't. He picked up his jacket and he walked back up to the clubhouse. He was so frustrated. Mariners beat the A's 2-1. to one. Montas, one of the most talked about potential trade pieces before the August 2nd deadline. A couple of notes. The Chicago White Sox second baseman Danny Mendick suffered a torn ACL. He, of course, is out for the year. The White Sox have been devastated by injuries this season. The Angels optioned Reed Detmers to the minor leagues just six starts after the left-hander threw a no-hitter. In those starts, since the no-hitter, he had a 5-6-7 ERA. What a game in the Bronx last night. The Yankees and the Astros. And early on, Alex Bregman gave the Astros a lead. Now here's the 0-1. Swung on, hit high in the air to left. Going back is Hicks on the He watches it sail out. A three-run home run for Bregman. Now Hicks was on the track and looked up. And the ball was several rows back in the left field seats. What a great beginning for Houston. A hit batsman, a single, and a three-run home run by Bregman. And the Astros take a 3-0 lead. That was John Sterling on the Yankees radio network. There would be a lot of swings back and forth in this game. Aaron Judge gave it one in the bottom of the third. High fly ball, right field, Tucker back, turning, looking, see ya, the other way, into the second deck, a three-run shot, the game is tied. Home run number 27 of the season for Judge, who's on a pace to hit 62 this year. But the hottest hitter in baseball gave the Astros a lead in the top of the third. 1-0 line, hard, deep to right field. It is a three-run home run. I thought it was going to go off the wall, line drive, but it went over the wall, a three-run home run for Jordan Alvarez. And Houston now leads 6-3. And they would foster that lead into the bottom of the eighth inning when the Yankees got a runner on base. And this happened. High fly ball, right field, Tucker back, leaps, and he makes the play. Oh, what a play by Kyle Tucker to end the inning. Montero could not believe it. Yeah, nobody could believe it. Great catch by Tucker, who slammed into the wall. Uh, He had the wind knocked out for a bit and had to recover in the Astros' dugout after that half inning. So they go into the bottom of the ninth inning with the Astros leading 6-3. to Ryan Presley, great reliever on the mound for the Astros, but this happened. And the pitch. High drive, right field. There it goes. See ya. There's the home run. He ties it with one swing. It is 6-6. Yeah, you know the Yankees are really rolling when Aaron Hicks, who's one of the guys struggling on this team, got a big hit like that. That rally continued with the score at six all. Driven down the left field line. It is a base hit. It goes into the corner, and the Yankees have done it again. Trevino scores, and they come all the way back for a dramatic 7-6 victory. Their ninth walk-off of the year. And their record is 52-18 and 18 after beating the Astros yesterday, right after the game. Meredith Morakovitz spoke with Aaron Judge. Aaron, this is this team's now ninth walk-off of the season. How are you guys doing it? Where does the never-quit mentality continue to come from? You know, it comes from believing in each other. 
That's what this team's about. You know, we believe in each other. And when you got a packed house like this, how can you not? This is this is amazing. This is amazing, man. It's, you know, a lot of great at-bats throughout the whole night to get to this moment. Yours obviously was the difference maker in this one. Stanek threw you four straight splitters. How did you remain locked in throughout that at-bat? I knew I was going to get the job done. You know, I had faith that I was going to go up there and do my job, and, and I was able to get a pitch I could handle, and um, no, I got it done. Got how, it done. how much do you love coming to the plate in those situations with the opportunity to end the game with one swing? That's when this game's, you know, at its best right there. Moments like that, crowds on their feet, um, games on the line. You know, that's, those are the moments in your backyard you dream about, you know? You mentioned some of the other at-bats. You don't get the opportunity to be the hero without that home run from Aaron Hicks. Just how much life did that inject, not only into the stadium, but into that dugout? Oh, this was a playoffs atmosphere right there. When Hicks hit that home, I just looked into the bleachers. Everybody was jumping around, going crazy. This is, this is a big series, and we're uh, you know, looking forward to tomorrow. Playoff atmosphere last night, and at noon Eastern time today, he's going to be on a Zoom call for an arbitration hearing. We're going to be talking with Paul and McKitties about that in just a second. Before that, Taylor, what do you got? Iron that tie, Aaron Judge. couple things, Buster. Uh, first of all, NBA draft last night, uh, Brian Windhorse on the Hoop Collective is recapping that with Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps, the battle of the Tims there, to react uh, the reacting to the draft, including Paolo Banchero jumping up to the top pick, the biggest surprises in round one, and what exactly the Knicks were doing in the latest on the Kyrie saga with the Nets. Also, uh, big news over here at ESPN Podcast. ESPN has partnered with Peyton Manning's Omaha production to create a bunch of new shows. One of those shows is Courtside Club. Grab your popcorn and sit courtside with host and influencer Rachel Demita as she chats with the biggest athletes, celebrities, influencers, and creative minds. Rachel and her guests dive into sports, pop culture, and the life experiences that forged who they are today. That's Courtside Club. Listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, is Paul Ambikiti. He's a researcher at ESPN who's a honcho on the show. Get up, and I apologize, Himbo, for my appearance this morning. It felt like the flow was all over the place. It wasn't happy with it. When I got done, I was, you know, throwing stuff around. If I had been in a dugout someplace, it would have been bouncing helmets, breaking bats, all that. I'll let you, I'll give you an opportunity to do better than I did and talk about Aaron Judge's arbitration hearing and how you think this might play out. The Yankees have offered $17 million and uh, Aaron Judge looking for $21 million. Uh, it seems weird to answer the question this way, given the context of his season, which, of course, is irrelevant in regards to the hearing. But I think it's going to be an uphill climb for Aaron Judge and his representation, in part because of his 
lack of availability leading up to the season, Buster. He played 155 games in 2017. He played 148 games last year. But in the three seasons in between, he missed 142 games. So the question is not how good are you? The question is how often? This is a body of work decision, not based upon you at your best. Those aren't the only data points here. So obviously a lot of Yankees fans might be confused when you know the news winds up coming out that Aaron Judge lost his cage, which I think is more likely than not. But of course, it's worth reminding everyone that this year has nothing at all to do with it. And Aaron Judge's career to date has been in large part defined by his unavailability. You're 100% right. That's exactly right. It's as if the uh, arbitrators, it's a three-person panel, has to suspend, <laughs> go back in time and imagine, you know, how they would look at Aaron Judge in February versus now, because, of course, everything got backed up by the owner's lockout. You normally wouldn't have an arbitration hearing in, in uh, mid-June. You'd have it in February. And so the arbitrators can't consider evidence of 2022. The two sides can't present evidence related to 2022. So that amazing night he had last night, the 27 home runs, all that, that is all out the window for this case. Now, breaking news here, uh, the Yankees offered Aaron Judge a settlement at the midpoint between the two sides. Mm. Uh, The Yankees' proposal was $17 million. Judge was at $21 million. The Yankees offered a settlement in 19. If you had been Aaron Judge, would you have taken that based on what you just told me? Uh, yes, but I, if I were Aaron Judge, I also would have taken the $200-plus million contract that the Yankees offered me in the offseason. That's the difference between Aaron Judge, a world-class athlete, and me, an average television producer. In my judgment, $19 million sounds like a great salary for this year. In my judgment, $213.5 million sounds like a great salary for the next seven years, but this guy's built differently. He thinks differently, and that's why we're in this position to begin with. Yeah, and I've talked about this, and I think it's worth repeating. I, I, you know, every time we have negotiations, uh, one side is considered to be the the idiot, the other side the genius. Uh, everything is viewed through the prism of the result. And I've been telling friends, like, in this case, there are no villains. There's nobody who is stupid. I, I You know, the Yankees, everybody in the industry feels like that the Yankees offered $213.5 million was absolutely fair. And it would have been the second highest contract in the history of baseball for an outfielder behind Mike Trout, ahead of Mookie Betts uh, and Giancarlo Stanton and Bryce Harper. And so the Yankees offered him the seven years at $213.5 million, you know, more than 30, just a tad over $30 million a year. And Aaron Judge, as his as is his prerogative, uh, wanted to be more in the Mike Trout territory of $36 million a year. So... <laughs> I I hope that you know it, it gets looked at in a different context than one side's the idiot, one side one side is brilliant. But I don't think that's going to be the case, Embo. Uh, nor do I. If you think Brian Cashman is stupid, look at the Yankees' results on the field this year. You're the stupid one if you think that. Let's also consider the fact that he had to make his decisions based upon the facts at hand, and given the fact that he was going to be paying Aaron Judge. For his 30-somethings, this is a, an unprecedented player of size and skill, but the idea of paying a six foot seven player with a massive strike zone $40 million a year into his late 30s is just not good business. If he loses 5 or 10% of his bat speed over the next few years, Buster, he's just going to be a shell of the player that he is right now. The player that Aaron judges this second, the, the last three months that he has had, is not necessarily representative of the player he's been 
throughout most of his 20s. It's representative of the very best that he's been, which he's been on occasion. But let's look at the body of work. This is a body of work decision. Brian Cashman's great at what he does. Aaron Judge is great at what he does. And they can both be great at what they do without creating a villain and without creating a hero. You asked me a question as a producer on that segment today. Do I think that Aaron Judge is going to be with the Yankees next year? And I've gone back and forth on this. Uh, I'm increasingly beginning to believe that this uh, negotiation is going to play out a lot like Albert Pujols in 2011, where Mm. you get a a face of the franchise, superstar player, MVP caliber player, and in the end, the team will look at the metrics and look at the age of the player and say, nope, we're not going to do that, and some other owner will step in. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I'll say this much, and this might get me canceled on Aaron Judge Twitter. But Aaron Judge needs the Yankees way more than the Yankees need him. The value of of that franchise won't decline by 1% if he signs with the Cubs or the Giants or whomever. But Aaron Judge's public equity, if you will, his public stock will plummet. And that isn't an Aaron Judge judgment, for lack of a better term. That is just the reality of the situation. Baseball right now just can't market and build its superstars in any market the way that the NBA can and the way that the NFL can. Aaron Judge in New York City is a match made in heaven, a perfect marriage. Aaron Judge, most anywhere else, most excuse me, most anywhere else, he's going to disappear, just like that agent said in the piece you wrote over the weekend. He will live. He will much of the rest of his career, in all likelihood, will be played in anonymity if he chooses to go that direction. Again, not a value judgment. It is a statement of fact based upon the way baseball is situated right now in the national scene. All right, before we go, let's play a rapid fire game, which you made up called Mm -hmm. Reminds Me Of. I'm going to give you a name of a rookie, and you're going to tell me who that player reminds you of. And we'll start with Bobby Witt Jr. Buster, Bobby Witt Jr. reminds me of Ryan Braun. Here's what I see. I see a similar bat path, that sort of violent hip rotation, that high finish. It's a swing that looks very similar to me. And obviously his season so far has been, I think, sort of a mixed bag. But look over his last 40 games, 11 doubles, Three triples, nine homers, a 539 slugging percentage. That's a premium bat. Will he be a superstar? Well, I think that will be largely dependent upon whether or not he ever learns to control the strike zone at a high level. But Buster, what I know for sure is that Bobby Witt is going to hit the living snot out of the ball for a really long time. Yeah, he's going to have 80 extra base hits in his rookie year in all likelihood. That's a pretty good season for a first-year player. (laughs) Michael Harris, center fielder for the Atlanta Braves. Michael Harris reminds me of Johnny Damon. Here's where I'm coming from. So the swing, obviously, he's got the high leg kick and a high hands with that sort of like classic sweeping swing. And you've noticed, Buster, that produces just a lot of hard opposite field contact. He's got 30 hits this year. He's only pulled eight of them. That bat stays in the hitting zone forever. I see a plus glove. He's obviously a better thrower than Johnny Damon. But when I watch Harris hit especially, that's the, the swing that he most reminds me of, Johnny Damon's. Yeah, uh, I just can't get past the arm. <laughs> Michael Fair Harris enough. and mm-hmm. I, you know, in preparing for Sunday Night Baseball this weekend, I did some digging into his history. Uh, I'm sure you know this. Uh, a lot of teams viewed him as a better pitching prospect than position player prospect before he was drafted in 2019. Johnny Damon's arm was not of someone who was going to be a pitcher. I agree. <laughs> like, to me, uh, Michael Harris has been a big part of the reason why the Braves are just gathering momentum as we go along. And lastly, the Padres, Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, Buster, Mackenzie Gore reminds me of John Lester. Here's what I see. I, I see a pitcher that hides the ball really well behind his body, a really quiet lower half, outstanding balance, and a really calming presence. He's the co-favorite right now 
to win the National League Rookie of the Year, despite just being lit up in his last two outings. But he allowed eight runs over his first eight starts, during which time the league posted just a 521 OPS against him. I see a very similar makeup on the mound, a body that I think he'll really, really grow into, and sort of the frame of someone who I think can be a really effective pitcher in the big leagues for the better part of a decade. I'm glad he bounced back. You know, there's a lot of conversation last year about whether or not he was developing a case of the yips. Would he be able to bounce back? And he's been terrific this year. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, man. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch. Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. The Ravi train, though, lately has been in Omaha, Nebraska for the College World Series. Ravi, what you doing? Well, we're enjoying uh, a, a preview show, a Golden Spikes Award show this evening, where I'm guessing Ivan Melendez will end up being named the college baseball's best player of the year out of Texas, a big kid hitting kid who's uh, who's going to impact the major leagues but we've uh, we've seen a wide open tournament it's not, it's not like major league baseball you've had these tremendous teams you came here with three national seeds and that was it and now we're down to our last two you have Ole Miss that surprised I think some some people yesterday when they knocked off Arkansas and a team from Oklahoma I mean, Oklahoma's going to be in the SEC in a few years 2025 and it's kind of an SEC-dominated world, as you know, and we're, we're back at it again, starting with game one on Saturday, which should be really good. Oklahoma's got a little advantage because they have been 3-0 and here, so they've rested their starters, and Ole Miss had to play a massive game yesterday, and they used their, their ace still in Delusia. And I don't know if you saw it, Buster, but the game uh, flew by. It took two hours and six minutes to play. Wow. Yeah, you, you got to love that. I, I wanted to ask you uh, about, you know, as you watch all these teams, as you watch all these elite players, many of whom are going to, whose name we're going to hear in the draft next month. Uh, is there a guy that's jumped out at you where you said, okay, I'm going to see that guy in the big leagues really soon? There's a couple. Um, I tell you, the most impressive part for me has been the defense. It usually is the guys that hit the ball over the wall. You'll occasionally see like we did, with lighter and rocker, two guys stand out on the mound. Um, you know, the pitcher yesterday, Dylan Delusia, was terrific, but Arkansas has got Dayton Moore's son, Robert Moore, who plays second base. His shortstop partner is this kid named Jalen Battles. Caden Wallace is Arkansas's third baseman. All of them do stand out. The defense was, was really incredible. And on that team in particular, they stood out. Their first baseman is a kid named Peyton Stovall, who – out of high school, allegedly turned down about $2 million. And you, you can tell he, he's still a little green. You can pitch to him and, and get him out in certain spots. But then in another game, he'll have four hits and look like you, you'll never get him out. To me, the kid named Jalen Battle stood out. He's the shortstop for Arkansas. Uh, just just really talented. And, you know, we're watching Dansby Swanson have kind of a, a monumental season for the Atlanta Braves. He shined here a few years ago. There's some of that in watching battles. I don't think he has the bat tool yet, but I'm sure he will. He's he's athletic, and that that's the kid that has stood out for me. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate the country won't be able to see him in a final series because they lost. But he's he's really been special. I don't think there's any place you'd rather be in Major League Baseball uh, this weekend than in Atlanta for our game on Sunday night. We've got the Braves and the Dodgers, and of course tonight. 
will be the first time that Freddie Freeman has played in Atlanta since he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I, I you know, I've actually heard a little debate, seen a little debate on social media about how he's going to be received. Carl, I, I think you and I are going to agree on this one. I, I would, I hope, I mean, I don't know why there's, I don't know how there's any other option. You know, you want to, you want to be upset with Freddie for not inserting himself more into the negotiations that's fine, but that's not a reason to boost somebody that helped you win a, a World Series and was the face of your franchise. And very likely when his Hall of Fame career ends, barring, you know, just a, a number of incredible years in Los Angeles, he, he goes into the Hall of Fame as a brave. I would, I don't think there's any, I, I don't know there's a better an option. I mean, this, you get up, you stand, you clap, you, you know, you bow, whatever you got to do to show your appreciation for somebody who clearly had mutual respect and admiration for the city. His opinion about the organization or the way that negotiation went down may change, but I don't know that that's that, that would be nuts. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of players that maybe Aaron judge with the Yankees is one, but players over the course of, of our years covering baseball who were more associated with one franchise than that guy. I mean, I, I think he's at the top of the list. Um, so I, I don't have an option. I don't know if you have another option besides getting up, standing for a long time, clapping. Yeah, that's why it was a shock when he left the Braves, right? Because we associated Freddie so closely with the with the Braves. He assumed all along, okay, those two sides will work it out. Um, and, and I know that, you know, Jock Peterson doesn't have that sort of history. But we got a little bit of a preview, I think, of what we're going to see with Freddie the other day when Jock got his World Series ring uh, his teammates were messing with him on the field. He got, you know, huge ovation when he came up and played appearances during that uh, the Giants and Braves series. He got big cheers. That's what it's going to be like tonight, Carl, because you know, and, I, and you know Freddie's personality. He's going to have the biggest grin as he walks across the field because they're going to do this ceremony, I'm sure the ring ceremony, right in front of the Braves dugout. He's going to have all of his former teammates who he's very close with. Uh, you know, he was calling, and in some cases he was weeping after he signed uh, – uh, when it fell apart with the negotiations fell apart with the Braves, uh, you know, he's calling teammates and saying uh, how awful it, it was that it turned out this way. He was really upset. So he's going to stand in front of his uh, former teammates. They're going to be a couple with him. Brian Snicker will come out. Freddie will probably be crying because he's a really emotional guy. And there'll be about a million hugs and the crowds will cheer. The fans will cheer for him as all that's shown. And then they're going to cheer for him, give him a standing ovation, his first box. First time in the box, and he's going to have to wipe his eyes. Yes, a hundred. Yeah, you know, it's. I think this would be. I think this for him would be the most difficult of all of the days since he got that phone call at his son's birthday party, and he realized, like, oh my god, I, I may not be coming back here. This, this is over. Um, you know, the, the the like the rub, the challenging part of all of that is is how did you not reinsert yourself? How did you not make a phone call to say, hold on time out? They're gone. We are going to work this out. Alex Anthopoulos, you and I, that's how this is going to happen because uh, it's quite clear. The only thing I want to do is come back here. I want to be paid. You know what I think is, is my right and what's going to be fair. We're damn close on that. Let's, let's finish this. That That's the part that is so troubling and puzzling in all of this is, how that didn't happen, and how the how the agents didn't go back to him and say, "Here's our plan," or we just hung up and this is where we're at. And he says, "Okay, thanks. I'll take it from here." That that's the part that's frustrating because I think tonight's the, the hardest night 
of all of them. I think when you go back there, you're going to a different clubhouse for the first time. You're stepping on the same field. You're seeing the same ushers. You're seeing and hearing the same public address announcer. You're seeing your teammates. You're seeing Snit. All of those things, that would be very, very difficult emotionally for a guy who wears emotions on his sleeve. I think this night's going to be very very, very hard. I, I know it's going to be wonderful to get the ring and, you know, he'll be able to focus on baseball, but this is a hard, hard night. Cause this is, this is where I'm supposed to be in that uniform, in that dugout. So I think this is really going to be a, an emotional challenge. I love your take on that. I think you have a, a finger in the pulse of it. And just to review, uh, after Freddie signed with the Dodgers, he spoke with Alex Anthopoulos, the you know head of baseball operations for the Braves. They went over negotiations and how they turned out. In the end, Carl, here's the bottom line. His first choice was to go back to Atlanta, and he wound up taking a contract for more years for less money once you factor in uh, state tax in California and deferred salary with his set, the, the team that probably for him – was his second choice, which makes no sense. So you're right. Uh, I think it is going to be really hard. All right, what a scene in Yankee Stadium last night, huh? <laughs> My goodness. You know, on the eve every of the Aaron night, Judge arbitration hearing, wow. Yeah, yeah, Buster, every night in Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, Aaron Boone, I think he's he's searching for superlatives He's searching for adjectives. They're trying to put their finger on the pulse of everything that's going on there. It has been magical. And the man who is wearing the magic hat and pulling rabbits out of his hat seemingly every day is Aaron judge. And then, I mean, I don't know. We just, we just got finished talking about Freddie Freeman. This is another one that currently is not making a lot of sense. Um, you know, we, ha- we, ha- we are going to arbitration, with again, as I mentioned, the, the guy who is most associated with this franchise since maybe maybe Babe Ruth—I don't know—because of his prodigious home runs. The idea that we are not able to figure this out, where he's made it clear he wants to stay, and it's obvious that the Yankees have a particular price point that they're willing to go in years, whatever it may be, that we can't we can't figure this out. We can't be adults in the room. We cannot. Get get Aaron and Cash or Aaron and Steinbrenner to sit down and and hammer out a deal. Uh, I'm I'm blown away by the inability sometimes of adults to act like adults. But yes, for Judge, for Aaron Hicks, for the Yankees, for Aaron Boone, um, we grind and we grind and we end up w- winning again. You, 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 look, if I'm Aaron Judge, I, I, he told me, and I, you know we go over this all the time. He, he winked at me that night we saw him early in the season. We're in a good place. Uh, my God, uh, is there some magic formula he was aware of? Because as good a place as he's been in his career, uh, this is something different. This, this is this is nirvana, and he's living in it. Yeah, it, it is remarkable the set of circumstances leading into this hearing. And I, I you know, I've heard the circumstances of the hearing today, which is going to be on Zoom. Uh, I mean, that, that in itself is going to be surreal. Aaron Judge is probably going to put on a suit coat. And like you and I, uh, when we do uh, studio shows, we might be in shorts uh, as he's listening to that. And you're having conversations, uh, you know, th- throughout that whole thing. And you feel like, as you say, it should be worked out. But it's just, I mean, we have no indication that it actually will be worked out. 
Aaron Judge, someone, as you say, you know, he should be with the Yankees. But I, the more and more this goes on, Carl, it reminds me of Albert Pujols and the Cardinals in 2011, where in the end, despite the fact we all sat there and go, of course, Albert's going to stay with the Cardinals. That's where he belongs. Uh, I think the promise of an owner spending a lot more money than what uh, the, the, uh, the current employer wants to pay. I think Aaron's going to pursue that, which is totally his prerogative. I don't think the Yankees are going to chase him. We'll just have to, you know, have to see where that goes. Uh, underneath Judge last night and what he accomplished, what the Yankees accomplished, Jordan Alvarez hit another home run. <laughs> He's just ridiculous. Right. We saw him the other day in Houston, uh, you know, talk to folks in that organization about how good he is right now. You better get him for the Derby, Carl, because I know you got that kind of pull. <laughs> well, we actually uh, we did we did kind of broach the subject. I do think it's something he's interested in. A lot of times, you know, you get your contract and you feel good and you're willing to go out and do some of those things. But boy, I'm I'm looking at at Pete Alonso and who could challenge somebody like him, assuming he gets to the All Star game, which it certainly looks like he will. Um, he, he's one of those guys. Aaron Judge is one of those guys. Uh, I, I don't. I don't get into the minds of the players and, and what goes into their decision-making. Uh, but I'll be honest, I, I'm not certain that the first thing I want to do is go on a national stage and deal with somebody who appears to be a machine when it comes to this event. Um, that That's not a challenge to anybody's machismo and, and their competitiveness. But, I mean, you got to think about it. The way he, Alonzo, rolls through it, you know, if you're somebody else, are you embracing the challenge? I think most of these guys would. That's how they got to where they got to. But maybe in the back of the minds of some of them, it's like, I'm not so keen on doing that because have you seen that guy? Now, <laughs> when Tiger Woods was winning every event on the PGA Tour and the majors, there was a there was not a reluctance, but there was a resignation to if he's at his peak, we lose. I don't think that people are like that with Alonzo, but I, I got it. Might, it might creep in there. So, you know, I don't know if that acts as a deterrent or a motivator for some people. I, I need, I'd love, I hope Jordan Alvarez ends up in it. The same way I would always hope that Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, you know, I'd love the home run derby to be the, the best home run hitters in Major League Baseball competing against each other, and those names are on the list. So I think you were still in Dusty's office the other day when uh, David Cohn and I uh, bumped into Alex Cintron, uh, the hitting coach for the Houston Astros, and we were talking about Alvarez and, and the possibility he would be in the Derby, and Alex looked at us and was like, this guy would be unbelievable in the Derby. This, you know, this guy would be the favorite. And then I mentioned, yeah, there's Pete Alonso also, and I could just see in his face like, Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> because of the experience and what we've seen uh, from Pete in recent years, I actually think it'll be one of the, the uh, more enjoyable home run derby because Pete's kind of become the Darth Vader of the event. Like can anyone step up and beat Pete Alonso with all of his experience and the fact that he can keep his heart rate at 55 while everybody else is losing their minds. Yeah, and the fact that he enjoys it. I mean, he 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 has he has made that his thing in the summer. This is what I do. I take the million dollars. I make great donations to a variety of charities. I love the stage. I've had my buddy do it. I've had another guy pitch. Like, it doesn't matter who's pitching to me. Um, yeah, he, he's 
he's a wonderful add to that. And the same way that Freddie Freeman may always be remembered as an Atlanta Brave, you know, Pete Alonso may be the greatest home run derby champion of all time. And we've had Ken Griffey Jr. And we've had individual seasons where you're like, oh, my God, we've had Josh. Hamilton at Yankee Stadium and Todd Frazier doing it in, in Cincinnati. In the end, you know, that may be a thing. Nobody could beat Pete Alonso in the home run derby when he was in it. No, Nobody could do it. We'll see. All right, Ravi. We'll have fun in Omaha this weekend. Uh, and then I will see you on Sunday. Great pitching match on Sunday Night Baseball. Tony Gonsolin uh, facing Spencer Strider on Sunday Night Baseball. <laughs> Dodgers against the Braves. Thanks, Ravi. Looking forward to it. See you, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. A few weeks ago, I got a chance to talk with Cardinals pitcher Adam Wainwright about pitching about how long he wants to keep on pitching. Give a lesson. So I wondered, when we had our production call the other day, David Cohn was talking about your curveball and how uh, amazed he is by the fact that you've been able to maintain it so well during the course of your career. And, you know, he was wondering, and I'm asking, like, during the course of your career, how have you done that? I mean, my curveball is a pitch that since I was 10 years old, you know, my brother taught me the grip. It's pretty much looked exactly the same. You know, I, over the years, my arm angles changed a little bit, and the way I have to take the ball back has changed a little bit, so it's shaped a little different. But, I mean, it's a game of constant adjustment, but it's it's been the one pitch that, you know, I could always rely on and I could always know the shape of it, know how it's going to come out. I can throw the ball as hard as I can possibly throw it, and it's going to come out 75 miles an hour, you know like this and it has you know since i was 10 years old it was the exact same shape but he um, said that that that's what he finds to be amazing was that you he said a lot of curveballs that are that slow and that velocity they're kind of rollers he said but yours is well you know uh 
to counter that a little bit, um, my curveball was kind of a roller this year a little bit. Couldn't get the end of the the end of the pitch. Yeah. The people weren't swinging and missing it like they want to. Last game was the first game that I re- realized my correct grip. You know, this this game is a funny game. You can play it for your whole life and and go out there one one day and the, the ball feels like it's supposed to feel and your grip feels great. The next time you go out there, you're like, this ball feels horrible. I don't even know what I'm holding, and the grip feels terrible in your hand. That's the first probably five, six, seven, even eight starts this year. My two-sing grip was the same way. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure out the way it felt in my hand wasn't right. My grip wasn't right. I was figuring out, am I too high? Am I too low? And then, you know, you change the grip. It's funny how grips change like that. But so last game, you know, I was telling somebody, hey, somebody show me your curveball grip. And so I was showing them, and then I was like, Oh yeah, I need to hold it like that more. And so I started throwing. I started getting a little better finish. Started my spin rate went up a little bit. Um, so you know, those it's a game of, of who was the player? Who was asking? Libertor. Okay. Yeah. And so we, did you immediately want to go out and say and go and throw after he? You guys talked about it. I knew it right away. I mean, I you know one of the keys of my curveball is getting it on the side of my thumb. Okay. And not not gripping it with the with the like the the pad of your thumb. Right. You get it on the side of your thumb. Can create way more spin. The thumb is a is a is a part that doesn't get talked about on a curveball much, but is a really important part of it. Uh, especially on my curveball, I really create a lot of torque from my thumb, and uh, I wasn't doing that at all. And so I was throwing the same shape, but it wasn't having that bite at the end of it. And guys were getting lots of hits on it. So uh, we'll see what happens going forward. But it's now I've got the spin going the right direction. I like where it's at. Is your confidence to the degree with the pitch that, you know, through the years when you throw in bullpen sessions, flat ground, you don't really need to throw it that much, or do you work work on maintaining it? I still work on it. I mean, I think you still, with your strengths, you still have to work to keep them where they are, you know. You work yeah. on your weaknesses too, but you really work, you can really hone your strengths. Um, I don't, I, I work on fastball command a lot. I don't work on curveball command as much, but it's a much more natural thing for me than fastball command, and so I have to work on that harder. But but I do work on my curveball command. Um, it, but I, it's a, one of those pitches where people are like, hey, talk to me about how you're throwing that for a strike. And I go, dude, that's one of those things I'm not thinking about. All right. I'm, right. I don't have keys, you know, that I'm thinking throughout. The, it's a natural thing for me to be able to reach back and throw that pitch where I want to most of the time. That's, that's why I've been able to pitch for as long as I have. If I didn't have my curveball, Buster, you know, I'm... <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't get out of a ball. So um, it, it's been a, it's been a great pitch for me. What was the conversation led it, led it to uh, your brother showing you that pitch? Do you remember any of that when he first showed it to you? Well, he showed me all the grips. Yeah, yeah, showed me all the grips, all the thought processes behind pitching and all that. I learned from from Trey. He uh, student of the game. You know, I was a player of the game. I wanted to go out and perform. He wanted to to to, to study. Yeah. Why? And that's why he was valedictorian and an Eagle Scout, and I was a dropout scout and, and you know, not a valedictorian. But um, he taught me how to study the game. He taught me how to watch him. He taught me how to, to really prepare better, you know. And, and uh, he showed me the curveball grip, changeup grip, fastball grip. He, he was reading books by a guy named Dick Mills and, and other pitchers that, and pitching coaches throughout the years. We read Leo Mazzoni's book together, you know, a lot of, a lot of different – coaches throughout the years he was reading those books and saying all right you need to do this you know you need to study this or you need to you need to do more of this and so we tried all that kind of stuff did you have a i remember mike messina telling me about how 
when he initially started throwing his curveball, he actually had difficulty having catchers who could catch it. <laughs> was that an issue? Uh, was yours that good right away? It's always. I, I think they can catch my. I mean, I'm such a fan of this of the most. You know, yeah, such a fan of his curveball. Um, what a stud, too. What did he win? 20 games his last year. Right. Exactly. I love that guy. Anyways. Um, it's it's not a, a thing of whether they can catch it, but the first time it surprises them. Right. The first couple of times it you know it, it surprises them. Uh, they don't really never seen a shape like that or maybe a finish on the pitch like that, which makes me feel good. You know, I was facing this year getting ready for the season. I was facing the high school team down there in Georgia, and uh, one of the kids came up to me and said, "Hey, that you know you're you're pretty good. That curveball is pretty good. It's better than any curveball I've seen." And I go. Buddy, I hope so. You know, if it's not, <laughs> then I don't need to be playing in the big leagues. You know, you're, you know, yeah. no offense to your high school friends, but um, yeah. Uh, interpret this stat for me. We were talking about this number uh, with you. You have easily the highest percentage of called strikes in the major leagues. How would you interpret that number? Well, that sounds like a scouting report to me. Okay, Mr. Buster. Okay. Um, I don't want to go too far into that, but you know, I. Part of that is is uh, the Greg Maddox thought process, and this is the, wor- the this is the most I'll say about it. But Greg Maddox taught me back in the day if he wanted all his strikes to look like balls and all his balls to look like strikes. So if it comes out of the hand looking like a ball, then you get a little bit of a hesitation from the hitter's point. Right. And then you have the edge, you know. Um, so maybe things are coming out looking like balls. You know, I throw a curveball that looks like it's going to be a couple feet high, it ends up being a strike or a fastball that ends up, you know, starting off the plate and working back to it. Right. What's your thought beyond this year, beyond this season now at this point? Um, I try not to go there. I try not to go there. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying where I'm at big time. I'm, I'm living every day in the day, in the moment, enjoying these great parks we get to play in and the history behind them and learning all that do an old man walk day after pitch an old man walk the day after I pitch every time and explore the places we play and um, there's a lot of things on the horizon for me one being a dad one being a, a husband um, you know maybe singing a little bit we talked about that yeah um, playing a little golf you know but coaching my kids is going to be a big one but right now where I'm at is trying to help this team win a world series and I try to stay right there uh, hall of fame stuff um, I know you're not thinking too far off into the future, but and I, and I remember that, that great video you did with your family when you asked each one of them about whether or not they wanted you to continue. Does that at all play a role? Because certainly you're right in the cusp yeah. of, of right in that conversation. Well, you know what's fun to me is to even be considered in the conversation at all because I thought I was done four years ago. Yeah. 2018, I thought my career was over. So to be playing baseball four years later at somewhat of a high level and and have people even start bringing up that conversation is a really cool thing for me because I remember back in 18 watching MLB Channel and, and Al Leiter and a couple of guys were on there talking about people who might have been Hall of Famers if they never got hurt. And he, one of them mentioned me, I think it was Al, mentioned me like, yeah, if he hadn't been hurt, you know, he would have been there, but he's never going to get there now or whatever he said. It was very respectful. I felt great about it at the time. But now I look back at that and go, wow, how cool is it that that conversation can be brought back up? Yeah. Um, and that I'm even considered in the, in, the, in the realm of possibility, you know, uh, is a special thing. I don't know. I don't know what I have to do more than I'm doing. I, I mean, I can't 
I can't affect or change it anyways. People are thinking about it. I can't affect or change anything that happened in the past. Yeah. You know, I've missed three seasons with uh, with injury, and it sucks, but what are you going to do about it? Maybe that's why I'm getting these extra three or four at the end now, right. because I missed those years, you know? So, um, I don't know what why things happen like they do, but they happen for a reason, and I'm just enjoying where I'm at. Last one. If you could identify one thing, the most important thing in your mind, uh, for you to get from where you were in 2018 to what you've been able to do in recent years, what do you think that was? If I could identify one thing to help me get here? From that point, when you're thinking, boy, my career might be over. Yeah, well, it was. A, I had to change. I had to change a lot of stuff, you know. Um, changed my diet. Stopped eating gluten, dairy, and sugar, and processed foods for about 18 months. You know, didn't eat anything bad for a long time. Got all the inflammation out of my body. Changed my workout program. Um, really started trusting the people who were working with me. Our team has just done such a great job with me. Adam Olson, Chris Conroy, and Jason Shutt, Thomas Knox, and, and Lance Thomason. Those guys have just poured into me. They yeah. spent hours and hours and hours working on my program, working on my diet, working on my, my conditioning program, throwing program. All these things had to change in some way, you know, for me to keep playing. And it was either not eat all the stuff I love eating for a while, like you've been doing, um, not not doing the same work and changing, ha- having having the mindset where I have to change if I want to keep going and, and doing it um, was a very rewarding process for me. You know, if I didn't, I wouldn't be playing right now. I'd be home, uh, would be fine too, but I'd probably still be hurting and I'd probably be fat. You know, so I'd be honest <laughs> with you, because I, I lost 35 pounds. Uh, I went from two, like right at 250, 248, down to 215. Uh, and then worked my way back up. So now I'm about 235, and I play I play at this weight now. I used to I used to really like being heavier, feeling stronger on the mound. Yeah. Now I feel stronger on the mound, heavier. It's not that's not how I feel stronger on the mound. It's different weight. I get stiff, can't move as well, and and, and now mobility and and having my body be able to work for me instead of work against me is a big process that that helps me to compete. And so uh, I had to change a lot of things. So being able to be you know, taught, being able to be coached, that was important for me. Okay. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a glorious Friday. Christopher Bishop at Chris underscore Bishop writes in. Great interview with Boog. One issue on the whole mercy rule situation you guys brought up. Wouldn't it be much better if the league addressed non-competitive behavior instead of throwing in a mercy rule? Yeah, well, I don't know if they're related. By the way, uh, how about the reaction of Boog's appearance the other day, Taylor? I mean, he he is a legend I know. in the minds of listeners. People were excited here from Boog. I'm not going to tell him that, but they were fired up. No, his ego is already way too big, so we cannot go about inflating it anymore. Uh, but I told him before we got started, I had to dust off his sounder over here because we never have him on, so we never play. And I was it was refreshing to hear that. I hope we can have him on again soon. But he is a busy man calling those Cubs games and Sunday Night Baseball. Yep, 100%. Uh, Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit is up next. Mitchell writes in, is there a lineup with three consecutive hitters that scare you more than Devers, D- JD, and Bogarts? Not right now. They're pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes in, Riz- Anthony Rizzo works a 16-pitch walk against the Astros on Thursday night in the Bronx. One of the most intri- interesting base on balls that I've seen in the Major League Baseball game in a while. Uh, the- is that the last, what's the last long at bat you remember? Well, there are a lot of long at-bats, but I, I think this is the absolute uh, Everest of long at-bats. Alex Cora batting for the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
Clement has made more pitches to Alex Cora right now than he has made in any inning but the third. The 18th pitch. High fly ball into right field. Back goes Sosa. Way back to the gate. It's gone. Home run. Alex Cora on the 18th pitch. And the Dodgers lead four to nothing. Yeah, pretty tough to beat an 18 pitch at bat that ends with a home run, Taylor. Yeah, a walk is nice, but a home run a little bit better. Brian Roll at base at Brian Baseball Five. Oh boy, tough time reading this morning. The schedule has been terrible this year. Too many four game and two game series. Teams having off days on Memorial Day and Fourth of July. Series against the same team bunched together. These issues are not lockout related. What gives? Well, I would say this, Brian. Since I started covering baseball a million years ago, uh, the complaints about the schedule come every year. There, somebody's <laughs> always got an issue with the schedule, which I get. I would uh, of the issues that you mentioned. The one that absolutely jumps out to me is why all the teams aren't playing on Memorial Day and Fourth of July. Taylor, I don't get it. We've talked about it before. I mean, it's everyone's off in America, sitting around, probably on the couch, not doing much. I mean, it'd be a great time for Major League Baseball to showcase their product, but uh, that seems a little too tricky for them. Uh, Reggie, a baseball and weather nerd uh, at Baseball Yoda Weather, he writes in, uh, I think he's mentioning Boog, he's advocating for a mercy rule up 10 or more in at least the eighth here. Uh, He had a whole explanation for this, but that's what he wants. 10 or more in at least the eighth inning. What do you think of that? Yeah, I don't, you know, whatever the specifics are, I agree with Boog that the, when you get into a situation where you have a bunch of position players pitching, that's not good. Mr. Jakey writes in, are the A's tanking or do they just suck because their owner is cheap and lost money during the pandemic? Yes. <laughs> Corey Rukert is going to shut us down for the week at Corey R underscore 12. Uh, which upcoming free agent gets more money this offseason and how much Judge or Trey Turner? It's getting closer because Judge is having this sort of uh, season that makes an owner lose his mind, you know, like when Artie Moreno jumped in on the Albert Pools bidding. Uh, and I think something is going to happen like that. And I don't know who that's going to be, but some owner is going to be able to tell his friends at the country club, you know what? I landed Aaron Judge. <laughs> and I think that contract is going to be for $300 million. But here's the thing Trey Turner is two years younger than Aaron Judge. Mm. So I think that the contracts are going to be really close. A team to watch for me with Trey Turner, the Atlanta Braves. I'm wondering, you know, you got uh, Dansby Swanson headed to free agency this fall. You got Trey Turner uh, at the early stage of their careers. Trey Turner has been a more dynamic offensive player than Dansby has been. Uh, Dansby's probably been much steadier defensively. I'm going to be really curious about where the Braves land. Oh, I love it. All right. That is it for Bleacher Tweets for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this weekend. And uh, don't forget Monday, our YouTube segment with Tim Kirkchen. Always fun. So please subscribe. In addition to this podcast, the ESPN YouTube channel. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, to Hembo, Adam Wainwright, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.